Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. The question we're going to tackle today is this. As a Christian, is there a sense in which I am still a slave to sin, or, as a Christian, am I now exclusively a slave to God? Well, I think there are two extremes to avoid. Extreme number one goes like this. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Oh, I'm so wicked, I'm such a worm, I'm so evil, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. <clears throat> well, it is true, we are sinners saved by grace, but that's not just who we are. We're also forgiven, born-again, spirit-filled children of God. So, I'm not just a sinner saved by grace. But here's the other extreme to avoid. I am so saved by grace that I don't sin anymore. I remember years ago taking our youth to a Bible camp, not knowing that it was run by this perfectionist church. There aren't many, but there are some churches that teach you can become perfect in this life. And I got into quite a discussion with the older man that ran the camp. He says, I haven't sinned for two years. <laughs> and I think I said, I feel I'm doing pretty good if I don't sin in thought, word, and deed for five minutes. And, and I quoted to him 1 John 1, 7. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. So here's two extremes to avoid. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You're not just a sinner. You're a forgiven, redeemed child of God. But on the other hand, I'm so saved by grace, I don't sin anymore. And the Bible doesn't teach that. So back to the original question. As a Christian... Am I still a slave to sin, or am I exclusively a slave to God? Well, the reformers, John Calvin, Martin Luther, 500 years ago, answered that question with this Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator, which means simultaneously saint and sinner, which means when you accept Christ from that point on, you're two things for the rest of your life. You're always a sinner, and you're always a saint. So what I want us to do, would you take out your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 6, and let's talk about this dual nature that battles within every Christian. Romans chapter 6, and let's pray first. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we pray now that whatever struggles people are going through that are watching this program, that it wasn't by accident that they turned on this show. Lord, teach us how to battle the saint, use the saint nature to battle the sin nature. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Therefore, let's stop there. The Apostle Paul is saying, when you see therefore in the Bible, you stop and see what it's 
therefore. Therefore means because of what I just said, therefore the following is true. We won't look at it, but the first 11 verses of Romans 6, Paul is talking about baptism, how God did a big thing in your baptism. He drowned that old evil Adam you were born with. He gave you new nature. Therefore, because of what God did in baptism, the rest of the verse, therefore, do not let sin, that's a command form, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Here's the first lesson today. A Christian fights the flesh, the evil human nature. <clears throat> I was on an airplane and I was sitting next to a homosexual and he says he's a Christian and we talked for a long time. He's totally given himself over to homosexual behavior. There's no shame, no guilt. God made me this way. But then here's another young man uh, that I was counseling because I've had that struggle in my life, that temptation. And this young man, he's fighting it. He knows it's wrong. He's fighting it. He generally obeys God. Now and then he slips and falls. But then he gets, gets up but gets back on the way. I think man number two is a Christian. I don't think man number one is a Christian because there's no fight going on. The question is not, are you perfect? The question is, do you fight? The question is not, do you win every single fight? The question is, when you lose, do you get back up and get back in the ring? Uh, a Christian fights the flesh. Verse 13, Romans 6. And do not, and again the command form, go on presenting the members of your body, your bodily parts, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members, your bodily parts, as instruments of righteousness to God. Let me tell you a good prayer to pray in the morning, taken off of this verse. Lord, today I yield the members of my body as instruments of righteousness to you. You know, I think every day we have to consciously yield our body to God or the old nature takes over again. I heard a pastor say this. He said, I have to take a shower every day because if I don't, my natural body starts taking over again and I start to stink. So every day I have to take a shower to wash myself and get rid of the old self. I think that's a great analogy. Everybody, we've got this evil nature called the old Adam in us. I have to take a shower every day. I have to pray every day, read my Bible every day, go to church every week, take Holy Communion. I have to, to wash myself regularly or my old nature starts taking over again. Verse 14, for sin shall not be master over you. Here's the next lesson. Sin is no longer your Lord. Now I studied, what does it mean when it says sin will have no dominion over you? It simply means sin will not run unopposed in your life. It's not saying you'll never sin again, but you start to oppose it. I remember years ago, there was a woman that came and spoke at, at the church I served. She had an abortion when she was a, a young woman. Years later, she became a Christian. And she said, one Christmas morning, I was looking down into the crib of my newborn baby boy. And when I looked into his face, it suddenly dawned on me what I did to my first child. And she repented, she received God's forgiveness. And you know what she's doing now? She's working at pro-life, pregnancy centers helping women not do what she did. In other words, when you come to Christ, 
You still sin, but you oppose it. Verse 14. For you shall not, sin shall not be master over you. Why? For you are not under law, but under grace. Now the question is, what does it mean that I'm not under law? That's talking about God's law, but I'm under grace. Well, I, I think it means two things. Number one, I'm not under the law of condemnation. God's law, the Ten Commandments, condemn me because I break them in thought, word, and deed. I'm not condemned by God's law anymore because Jesus paid the price for all those sins, so I'm free from the law's condemnation. But the second thing I'm free from, I'm not under God's law in this sense. I'm not under the delusion that I can keep God's law and thereby save myself. So two things, I'm not under the law's condemnation and I'm not under the delusion that I can save myself by keeping God's law. I took my car to get fixed by my Vietnamese mechanic. And I'm sitting there in the outer room, there's a lot of people there, and I hear him talking to one of his customers. He said, people ask me if I'm going to heaven or hell. Well, I think I'm good, I think I'll go to heaven. <laughs> I wrote him a letter. And I, I thanked him because he does a great job, he's cheap. And I said, thank you for your great work on my car. But I heard your conversation. Can I explain? Nobody's good. We're all sinners. It's only by Christ and his death on the cross that we will be saved. Look at verse 14 again. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Here's the big lesson from verse 14. Grace breaks the slavery to sin. You ever wonder, how am I going to get rid of this sin habit that I've got? The answer is, when grace breaks in. There's some pastor that was trying to lead this man to Christ, and the man said, but pastor, you don't know how wicked I am. I am chained to my sin. And the pastor said, then come to Christ, chains and all. You know, the point is, we can't break the chains to sins. That's why we come to Christ, because we can't do it. You've probably heard of John Newton born in London, 1725. He was in the slave trade. He, he helped capture slaves and free and sell them. He gets gloriously saved, goes back to England, becomes a pastor, and he writes to him, amazing grace, how sweet this sound, that saved a wretch like me. You know how you get free from your sin? It's only when grace breaks through. So you might need to do this. You might need to go to your church and ask a couple Christians, would you pray for me? I've got this sin problem, and I need the grace of God to break in and get some prayer. And, you know, and people say, well, yeah, but I did that, and I still have this problem. Well, do it again. <laughs> Our battle with sin is a lifelong battle. Get the grace of God. Get prayer. Verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace. In other words, well, if I'm saved by grace and not by my goodness, let's just sin it up. The more I sin, the more God will forgive me. Paul's response is, may it never be. Here's the next lesson. Beware of grace abuse. I'm a Lutheran. Lutherans are big on the Bible's teaching that we're saved by grace alone and not by our good works. I'm big on that. We all should be. It's our salvation, hallelujah. But beware of grace abuse. I've shared this before, but I'll, the worst grace abuse I've ever seen. The Lutheran Hospital in Portland, Oregon is performing abortions, elective abortions. 
I write the Lutheran bishop in Oregon, how can a Christian hospital kill unborn children? He writes me back, we can do that as a Lutheran hospital because the Lutheran church believes in the grace of God. We're saved by grace, therefore kill your baby. Evil. Or here's another example. Well, pastor, I know the Bible says that as a Christian I should marry a Christian, but I've fallen in love with my atheist boyfriend. Can I do this? Can I marry him and ask for forgiveness afterwards? Well, you can, but guess who gets hurt? When you abuse the grace of God, you're the one that gets I mean, the reason God doesn't want us to sin is because he loves us and he doesn't want us to get hurt. You can abuse the grace of God, but you've got to put up with the consequences of that. Here's, here's the reason we don't practice grace abuse. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? Here's the next lesson. Everybody is a slave. You're either a slave to God or you're a slave to sin, but everybody serves something. There's an old Bob Dylan song. You're going to have to serve somebody. Oh, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Everybody, whether they know it or not, is a slave to something. Years ago, I spoke at a high school. They, wanted, you know, they had in a Buddhist and a Jew and me, and I was giving the view of Christianity. And this one high school student who seemed to me to be a little full of himself says, Pastor Brock, do you ever wonder if you've been brainwashed by the Bible? I think we should think for ourselves. And with all your talk about the Bible, do you ever think you've been brainwashed? <laughs> you know what I said? I think this was from God. I said, I have been brainwashed by the Bible. But you've got to know my brain. It's an evil, wicked brain. I need to wash that thing regularly by the word of God. <laughs> my point is, you're going to have to serve somebody. This high school student, whether he knew it or not, was serving somebody. You, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. That's the point of this verse. Verse 16. Either you'll serve sin resulting in death, or obedience resulting in righteousness. Next lesson, sin leads to death, obedience leads to righteousness. Sin leads to death, obedience leads to righteousness. So the homosexual I was sitting next to on the plane has had AIDS for 15 years. He was thin like a skeleton. And I thought of the verse, sin leads to death. But I think the death Paul is talking about here is not physical death. He's talking the big D, eternal death, hell. And this verse is teaching, if you're living a life of sin, you may say you're a Christian, but there's no repentance. There's no fighting against your flesh. You're just living in sin. You're not saved. You're going to hell. Mar Martin Luther said this, a child of God in this conflict with sin receives indeed wounds daily but he never throws away his armor or makes peace with his deadly foe. In other words, you're not going to be perfect till you're in heaven, but if you're not fighting, you don't know the Lord. Verse 17. For, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Here's the next lesson. Grace inspires me to obey God. 
You used to be like this, but now the grace of God has moved you now to obey God. I remember I preached once and some lady came up afterwards. She said, you know, Pastor Brock, when you preach on God's judgment and, and sin and punishment and hell, it doesn't inspire me much. But when you preach the grace of God, what Jesus did for us, how much God loves us, that's what gets me to want to repent of my sin. That's a good point. It's the grace of God that inspires us to obey him. There's a story of a woman who had a horrible husband. And every morning he gave her a piece of paper. Eight o'clock, do this. Ten o'clock, do this. Noon, do this. Just awful husband. Well, he died. She married a new man. Loved her new husband. Wonderful man. But years later, she found one of the notes of her old husband. And she looked through the list and realized everything the old husband used to bark at me to do, I'm doing without even thinking about it for my new husband. <laughs> That's what we mean when we say the grace of God. When we realize how much God loves us, we just naturally want to follow him. Grace inspires me to obey. Verse 18. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Here's the big lesson from that verse. Christians have been set free from sin. That's what it says. You've been freed from sin. You've become. In other words, you know the world has to sin because they're under the power of the devil. Christian, you and I don't have to sin anymore. Verse 19. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, says the Apostle Paul. For just as you presented your members, your bodily parts, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members, your bodily parts, as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Verse 19, though, says, in command, you yield your members. So here's the next lesson. Though free, we still have to fight. We have been set free by Christ, but you yield your members. You still have to fight. January 1st, 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, making all the slaves free. Were they free January 1st, 1863? Well, technically, legally, they were free, but it took a civil war to be fought to make them actually free. Here's the point. You and I have been set free from sin by Christ. We don't have to sin anymore. But you have to fight that civil war that goes on inside to be actually free. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then receiving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Here's the next lesson. There is a good kind of shame. Paul is saying there we should be ashamed of our past sins. I mean, I can remember hearing a sermon once that caused me a lot of shame. And the preacher was talking about how we rich Christians in America take our money and spend it on me, 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 while the world's going to hell. We need to take our money and send it to missions, send it to help the poor, send it so people can be saved. That, that sermon shamed me, but it was good because it changed my giving habits. Sometimes shame is a good thing. Here is what uh, Cranfield, a New Testament scholar, said. To be ashamed of one's evil past is a vital element in sanctification, being made holy. John Calvin, 500 years ago, wrote, quote, 
Only those who have learned well to be earnestly dissatisfied with themselves and to be confounded with shame at their wretchedness, at their wretchedness are infused with the principles of Christianity. In other words, there's a good kind of shame. So years ago, Zsa Zsa Gabor is on The Tonight Show. Johnny Carson. Zsa Zsa, she had eight, eight husbands. Zsa Zsa, when you look back on your life, would you do anything different? Oh no, Johnny, I'd do everything just the same. And I thought, you're kidding me. <laughs> Listen, there's a good kind of shame. Uh, you know, I don't think God wants us to kick ourselves over our past sin, confess your sins, wash, be washed through the blood of Christ, and don't even think about it anymore. That's good. But nothing's wrong with now and then praying, Lord, as I think about my past, thank you for cleansing me of my shame through the blood of Christ. That's okay. I mean, we're losing shame in this nation. This week, I was talking with a pastor friend. He's my age. He's been a pastor 35 years, and he said, you know what I'm noticing? When I was a young pastor... A couple would come for me to marry him, and I'd say, are you sleeping together? And they'd sheepishly say, well, yes, Pastor, we are. He said, not anymore. He said, I had a couple in my office recently, and I said, are you sleeping together? And the woman said, yes, Pastor, I would recommend it for everyone. <laughs> ah, there's a good kind of shame. Lastly, Let's consider the two benefits now of turning from sin and serving God. Look at verse 22. Therefore, uh, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit. Here it is, number one, resulting in sanctification. The first benefit of turning from sin and, and coming to Christ is called sanctification. It's a long word that simply means the process of being made holy. It's a lifelong process. It won't be complete till you're in heaven. But somebody had the, uh, a uh, button that said P-B-P-W-M-G-I-F-W-M-Y. And what does that mean? Well, it turned out to be, please be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. So one benefit of, of, of coming to Christ is he starts to really clean your life up and give you a lot better life. But the biggie is the last part of verse 22 and the benefit is, the outcome is, eternal life. Second big benefit is eternal life. I mean, this has happened twice to me, and this is my opinion. I've woken up in the middle of the night with this gorgeous music ringing in my ears. And I don't know, but I think it's the Lord letting me hear heaven for one second. And it is so gorgeous. And you know, I don't think we have a clue how incredible heaven is going to be. Last verse is verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the last lesson. Eternal life is a free gift contained in the package of Jesus Christ. You don't earn your salvation. You're not good enough. Salvation is a free gift contained in the package of Jesus Christ. And I'll close with this. Before I became a pastor years ago, I visited the elderly in this church with this older gentleman who was kind of the evangelist, and I kind of went along for the ride. And our mission was to visit the elderly of the church and make sure they understood that they're saved by God's grace, not by their goodness. So we'd always ask, are you sure you're going to heaven? And if God said, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And you often got, I hope I've been, I hope I've been good, and we explained you haven't been. So this lady was 90 years old, Swedish heavy accent. 
we sit down in, in her, uh, the, was it the retirement home or wherever? Well, Mrs. So-and-so, we're here today to talk about your eternal soul and Jesus. And she goes, well, if you don't got Jesus, you don't got nothing. Well, you're right, Mrs. So-and-so. And, and so if you die tonight, are you sure? Oh, if you ain't got Jesus, you don't got nothing. Well, that's right. And, and, but if you died and God said, why should I let you? Oh, if you ain't got Jesus. We couldn't even get the questions out. I remember as we left, the evangelist looks at me and says, I think she gets it. <laughs> My question for you is, do you get it? Eternal life is not something you earn. It's a free gift contained in the package of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. This is your opportunity. If you have a question you'd like us to ask Pastor Brock on a future show, please feel free to send it to our website, which comes up at the end, pastorstudy.org, and we'll handle your question or um, on another program. Pastor Brock, we've been talking, you've been talking about if Christians being free from sin. Are there Christians that don't sin anymore? Well, again, you know that verse that I quoted, 1 John 1, 7, that was written to Christians. Paul, uh, John, the apostle probably, says, if we say we have, present tense, no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. But if we confess our sins, we're forgiven. So we will not be perfect in this life. But we do talk about direction, not perfection. Once you come to Christ, the direction of your life does change. You start opposing sin rather than rejoicing in it. So there's a change of direction, but the perfection doesn't come until heaven. Okay, so people do continue sinning even though they profess to be Christians. Yeah, but let's be careful. You can't live in impenitent sin and be saved. First John, First Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Uh, you can sin, but you repent and you fight again. Uh, living in impenitent sin, no one will be saved. Okay. Isn't shame normally a bad thing that keeps people from God? You know, there's two kinds of shame. Jackie, if you do something awful and you feel awful and you come to Christ and you ask for forgiveness, that shame is good. If shame drives you to Christ, that's a good thing. But if shame drives you from Christ, that's a bad thing. And I'm thinking of a, a friend of mine whose Catholic grandma has gone into the priest for 50 years and confessed the same sin over and over she did when she was 21. And I would I'd kind of almost feel like shaking her. Lady, if you believe in Christ, you were forgiven 50 years ago. Now drop it. God's forgiven you. Forgive yourself and move on. So there is that kind of bad shame that Satan puts on people. So is that Satan? Because, I mean, you know, people sin more than once. And you think once you're asking forgiveness over and over mm -hmm, again mm -hmm. and you yeah. fall into it well you, you, um, we got to wrap it up we'll have to do that one on the next show Jackie All right. <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't thank you for watching the pastor study you can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.